All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms Here, like I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let me know.
Hello Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Make sure to go and get those pre-sale on the Series 2 box from Upper Deck. They're available now and use our promo code Hockey Season, all one word, capital H, capital S, Hockey Season to get $5 off your order. Quads, I'm going to bring you in right now. I'm not sure if our connection is going to be fine because man, there is a lot of snow out on the ground right now for us in BC here. There is. The lower mainland got a little snow dump, a little polar vortex. And man, how I wish I could be listening to 1040, uh, either on Monday when the snow is still here, or yesterday if there was more snow, and just hear the snow tire debate live again, you know? Hear, hear Sakaras mm. talk about admonishing for, for Blake Price in the inbox. Oh man, it was just... ah. I'm still reeling over the over 1040 being gone, and I was messaging with Trevor Martin, the program director there, last night, and he's, you know, hopefully going to come on the show, tell a couple stories, because he's got some good ones from 1040 over the years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you told me about that last night. I was excited, because, yeah, nobody probably has as many stories as T-Mart does, so that would be a great guy to have on the show here. And, uh, yeah, we'll give him a little bit of time to kind of figure their stuff out with the 1040 guys, but then, man, we, we want to have all of them on to tell the stories, because, you know what, I went down last night quite the rabbit hole. Uh, so our guest on the show in the midweek episode, Brian Weeb, who's one of our teachers at BCIT, um, he's put together, like, a SoundCloud playlist, I guess you could call it, of some of the top 1040 moments, and I listened to all of those, like... There was probably like 16 different clips I think that he had on there. I listened to all those on the SoundCloud last night and some of them just made me howl. Like absolutely hilarious. Like I I know that this one gets brought up a lot, but that one where Dollywall shows up to the morning show and he's absolutely wasted and he tries he tries to do the ad read and just like he just finishes it and he's just like, "Yeah, it's not going great, is it, boys?" It's just like so funny cuz he's like he's absolutely wasted slurring all of his words. He mixes up he mixes up like scoring chances and he calls it like chang and scoring or something like it's absolutely hilarious uh but check that out i know brian weeb uh, tweeted that out from his account on soundcloud and before we go any further quads happy belated birthday to you as well just uh a couple days ago now you turned the big two one yes thank you uh nobody believed it was my birthday because of mr booth but it, it was a lot of fun and yeah it was it was a good birthday all things considered as good as a covid birthday can get i think and I, it was funny because last year i had just missed covid like i think our first case came in january late january um but of course there was no restrictions and not everybody knew how serious it was yet so i went out for my birthday last year my 20th we we went out it was great um and then all my friends who have march birthdays and later on in the year they were like wow i i didn't get to do anything and now they might not even get to do it again this year so i can't complain man i think i had one co i'll hopefully only have one covid birthday so now that you so you turned twenty one, now you can obviously legally drink in the states. I'm wondering, what do you think a Vegas trip would look like for the Canucks conversation? Well, I think we're, I think we have to go. There's there's been a few people who've reached out. Malcolm Ert being one of them. Sean Warren. Uh, they they want to take me to Vegas as well. We'll have to get like Luke, Luke the bartender. That's our Vegas crew. I think that's what our Vegas crew looks like. We get Malcolm, Sean, Luke the bartender. That's who I'm going with with my first overall draft pick. Man, that'd be good. Get down for, you know, maybe in a couple of years, get a Canucks game in. Maybe, you know, a lot of people made that trip, apparently, uh, for those Vegas games from Canucks fans. Like, you heard the stories of, of TSN 1040, you know, funny enough that we bring them up again. Uh, but hearing them talk about going on that trip and seeing, like, a plane full of Canucks jerseys uh, on the way down for the weekend <laughs> game. So, yeah, that would be incredible. But yeah. uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, you got you were getting some love quads uh, when I posted the picture of uh, of you and I from the rink for your birthday. People were uh, going nuts about your Popeye 4. 
forearms that you've been pumping at the gym lately. Yeah, I guess it was it was <laughs> nice to see. You know, I've been working out for the past like six months, and that's why I'm all. People could probably tell I'm a little tired this morning. It's because I was at the gym yesterday and I woke up just feeling like absolute death this morning. But I, I'm getting fired up. I'm getting good to go, so I'll, I'll be fine for the show. I think once we start really getting going here. But yeah, right now back is sore, chest is sore, shoulders are sore. But you know it's worth it because then people on Twitter send me nice, nice, nice messages about my uh, my physique. Well, yeah, just uh, if only people knew how hard you're flexing in that picture before we took it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny you talk about being tired. I'm, I'm running on about three hours of sleep right now with uh, <gasps> me going to bed at about two in the morning, and then right before going to bed, thinking, "Hey, doesn't Pod Colson play tomorrow morning?" Uh, and doesn't he play at 6 a.m. and I wake up at about 5.45 to get ready for that game and turns out he didn't play till 7 so uh, yeah oh. it, it's been a <laughs> it's been a tough little morning for me so far but I've got a lot done and I had pancakes for breakfast and uh, you know that's a good start to any day I think if you can get the effort in to make pancakes I had some time here before the recording and, and I guess we should mention and apologies to the listeners we just couldn't find a time last night that worked for both of us to to get the episode done a couple things came up for for really both of us but we're getting this one out and we'll get it posted for you guys just this afternoon before the game tonight against the Calgary Flames on Hockey Night in Canada uh quads this might be the first time in probably 50 episodes that I've put together a show outline so I'm gonna see if we can maybe stick to this and just see how this goes uh I want to get started with the first thing I have on the menu here and it's the Tyler Mott injury. Um, we heard from Travis Green it's not going to be a one-week or a two-week kind of thing. What he said in the press conference was he's going to be out for a while. Um, he's been one of the most effective players, I think, at changing, uh, I guess, just the flow of a hockey game for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, this fourth line, or as Travis Green calls it, the Beagle line, has been pretty effective throughout the season so far. And how much of a loss is it to lose Tyler Mott, who's been excellent on the penalty kill as well? Well, first of all, I think it's just been surprising that the Beagle line, first of all, is called the Beagle line, and then it's actually been good and holding its own at 5-on-5. I think that's the most surprising part about all of this, but Tyler Mott's a huge part of that line. There's no way around it, and he's a major play driver on that line, and, you know, Charlie Hustle, he's just always on loose pucks. He's like Nils Hoglander with less skill, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what it seems like. It seems like... Or I guess you could call Nils Hoglander a Tyler Mott with more skill. But <laughs> yeah, regardless, you know, it hurts to lose a guy like that from your lineup and have to replace him with, you know, a, a Jake Vertanen or a Zach McEwen who just isn't quite the same as Mott and, you know, doesn't have that penalty-killing prowess that Mott has. And, you know, that that's going to hurt the Canucks. And it it's crazy to say, but they've been relatively healthy to start this season. So losing guys is only going to make things worse, which it's tough when you look at their record to say, oh, wow, okay, now they're going to be missing a player that's actually a pretty important part of their lineup. Like, it's not going to be easy for the Canucks. And, yeah, I, I mean, Mott, there's no question, losing Mott hurts this team. Yeah, you mentioned it. They've been relatively healthy, and, and it's crazy how looking at this lineup, and we talked about it so much when JT Miller was out with his COVID precaution, um, looking at it with Tyler Mott, I mean, this is a fourth-line guy, but it's crazy how much of an impact he makes because of how, I guess, Travis Green uses that fourth line and how they're pretty much all penalty killers, right? You know, Tyler Mott's going to go out there with Jay Beagle and be the first penalty-killing duo on the forward group that's out there, and it, it really does affect not only that penalty-killing unit, but I think it affects both because you're probably 
probably going to move Antoine Roussel up to play with Jay Beagle. That seems to be what they've been going with on the penalty kill for these two games. Then you have to slide in one of Tanner Pearson or JT Miller we're seeing get a lot more time on the penalty kill. So how much do you think that affects, I guess, the top six at five on five when you have to use JT Miller or Tanner Pearson now on the penalty kill? I mean... It affects them, yes, because they're not. That's just adding to their ice time, and they're not in a position where they're going to be scoring typically. So yes, it affects them. But what other option do you have, right? And it just like I don't know. Is there somebody else in the press box or in the lineup that you would rather have killing penalties than Tanner Pearson and JT Miller? Because I don't. I don't know if there is. No, I don't think so either. I mean. I, I wanted Antoine Roussel to be there, but they've already switched that, right? Like last season when we saw Tanner Pearson and JT Miller go out there, I thought you should go with Roussel in certain situations. But um, he's back out there now. I think he's actually the guy who's going to be skating with Jay Beagle on the first penalty kill unit, so that's fine. But, I, I yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, you know, Tanner Pearson does a fine job on the penalty kill. Uh, JT Miller does a fine job on the penalty kill. But I guess it's just like it's added tough minutes for those guys, right? And I think if, if you're getting it out of JT Miller... In the current state that JT Miller is at, you know, going out there and asking him to kill penalties, I, I wonder if that's something that maybe he's not even down to do, you know? Like, he wants to kind of probably be a power play scoring guy, top line guy. I wonder what his thought is on killing penalties. He'll probably never tell us the exact truth behind <laughs> it, but I wonder what he's really thinking about going out there and having and being asked to kill penalties for this team. Yeah, I mean... When there's already rumors that the players are upset about the moves of the off season, and you know they're not super happy with the supporting cast that's around them, yeah, maybe you would get some pretty candid thoughts. Like that would be like, okay, Chris, question for you: If you could ask any player on that team any question, and they have to respond, the PR team's not helping them. Even Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat's giving you an honest answer. He's not giving you the good captain answer. Anybody on that team right now? Like, right now, what are you asking them, and what are you hoping that their response would be? They can't They can't lie to you. They can't sugarcoat it. They're telling you exactly what they think, what they actually think. I would, I would ask Elias Pettersson if he thinks that Jim Benning is the right general manager to get them to a Stanley Cup. I would ask Elias Pettersson that. I would ask the best player if his GM is able to get them to a Stanley Cup. That would be my question. I think I'd ask that same question to JT Miller because I think your the response from Miller might be like way better than it is yep. from Patterson. Yeah, I mean it's true. Uh, you know he'd probably give us something good. We've seen JT Miller be a talker when he wants to be uh, in our yeah. media calls, but um, yeah, like I, I was thinking someone like Nate Schmidt maybe, but he's not really been here long enough to see the moves that Jim Benning has made. You know, like yeah. if you could get like a. Maybe if like if you could say that Alex Edler would give a long answer, it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say, you know, or even Bo Horvat mm-hmm. as well. But like I said, you'll you'll never get the exact truth about them asking about their general manager and the position that they're in. And let's let's talk about it just a little bit before we move on about Jim Benning because this is the six game losing streak for the Vancouver Canucks right now. I don't think I've even mentioned that this episode yet. If he comes into another Saturday, I said it last week. I said if you're on Hockey Night in Canada against the Leafs and you lose in a, in bad fashion, and they did. They went out and lost that game in bad fashion. They come in, came out and played a good game on Monday. But now, if you come into Hockey Night in Canada back-to-back weeks, and then this week you're coming up on potentially a seven-game losing streak, like how much longer is this leash for Jim Benning, do you think? Oh, man. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. 
you have to follow all the reporting with this. And the latest information tells us that the Canucks have basically made up their mind and that Jim Benning's likely going to be gone at the end of the year. And I think, honestly, they have the support of almost the entire fan base. Like, I've seen maybe two people, one of which I think is playing a character on Twitter, um, (laughs) say that they should keep Jim Benning after this season. And... Look, when you have that much support from the entire fan base and everybody's kind of clamoring, this guy's got to go, it's just, you know, Aquilini sees that. He's tuned into the fan base. Like, people think that, oh, he's not going to see this tweet. Like, no, he he is tuned into the fan base. He knows what's going on. And he, he you know, he he's going to be saying, okay, well, we need to start selling tickets. Is this general manager going to put together a team that people actually want to come see? And yeah, you know what, Quads? Can I just add just quickly absolutely. to see what what you're mentioning there? Yeah, he, you know, Aquini is dialed in. Look at the people. Some of these people that are tweeting out the hashtag Fire Benning and tagging Francesco Aquilini aren't just people that are just tagging him. These are some people that Francesco actually follows on Twitter. You know, that are tweeting at him about Fire Benning. Like he's seeing a lot of this. Like there's no real way around it like he's seeing what's going on with twitter and and the fan base i just wonder how much he really takes into account to be honest well man if the mobility scooters gather around rogers arena again with fire betting signs like maybe it'll happen it happened to gillis and yep okay if there was a crowd right now rogers arena would be filled every night with fire betting chants and i absolutely believe that would be the case and i don't care you know they'd play sweet caroline uh, maybe they'll play Chelsea Dagger, they'll do whatever they can to try and drown it out, but if everybody's chanting it at once, which they would be right now in the middle of a six-game losing streak, and they would have weeks ago as well, there's going to be some action, right? Especially if the team goes out and plays, I'll say it again, another stinker on the ice. If that happens again oh, yeah. and there's those chants going on in the arena, I'm sorry. Like I get for financial reasons that they ideally want to keep him till the end of the season, but... With all of that going on, again, maybe the mobility scooters come back out. You really, like, you really don't know. Like, it it would happen, I think. I think that the leash is longer now because there's no fans in the buildings. Um, But people are making their voice heard, right? Like, people are still making their voice heard and making it known to the owner how they feel. You see, Patrick Johnson just had an article where he asked people to pen open letters to Francesco Aquilini. You don't think he reads that? Yeah, he absolutely does. So, I don't know, Chris. Like, the, my understanding is the leash was going to go till the end of the season, and no matter what happens, happens, whatever. Um, but as Sats reported, and I know Sats really tuned into all of this, everybody has a breaking point. That's the verbiage that Sat used, and I think your breaking point has to come, you know, it has to. You have to be near your breaking point, a six-game losing streak, right? Where the season's quickly getting away from you, don't you? And here's the thing: the last two games the Canucks have played, especially the last one, was not a stinker. Like they got robbed by Jacob Markstrom, and they're so used to seeing that. But it's it's got to be tough to put your head down, work hard, and just keep at it when the res- you're not getting the result, even though you played such a complete game, like. Honestly, Chris, I would say that the last game we watched against Calgary was the best game the Canucks have played this season. Now, I know that's an indictment on how the Canucks have actually played this season, but that had to be their best game, wasn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Winnipeg game was was really a showing where they where they That's actually one, yeah. capitalized as well on the chances. But I think you're right. I think they played a similar type of game uh, in this most recent one on Thursday. Just didn't really capitalize like they did in the Winnipeg game. But yeah, yeah, I guess I f- I find it interesting because like you brought up a good point about those those losses and losing tight games because we saw a lot of blowout losses earlier in the season. I'm wondering what do you think hurts more. Let's say you lose back-to-back games in that fashion where you just get blown out, right? To start a losing streak. Or do you think these last two games where they've, you know, looked like the better team. That game on Monday against the Leafs, they looked like the better team. The game against Calgary, they looked like a better team. But instead of wins, that's number five and number six on the losing streak. What do you think hurts more? The two blowouts to start the streak or the two real close games where you did outplay the team to get losses? That's a really good question, and like, I'd have to find another way of phrasing it, but that'd be a really interesting one to ask on one of these Zoom calls, eh? Like, get the player's perspective on that, because I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear. Like, for me personally, I would say the one where you get blown out hurts more. Um, yeah. But, but then if you take into account that the last two where you played well and lost came and added five six onto your losing streak, there's a case that that would hurt more. Like. It's tough. Be- I-, I think both of them just suck. Like, equal amounts. <laughs> yeah. They just... It just sucks. So, I, yeah, I I don't know. What do you think on that? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because, like you mentioned, the points of where they're at in both of those losses, or I guess two-game stretches of losses, is interesting because, yeah, like, you know, every NHL team, whether you're the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Boston Bruins, or heck, if you're the Ottawa Senators, like... Every single NHL team can go out and win a game. Any single NHL team can go out there and be the better team on any given night. So I think when you get two of those back-to-back ones where you are the better team on two back-to-back games and both of them are losses already when you're coming off of a four-game losing streak to make it five and six, like, that's tough for me. I think that's tough when, you know, you can say, like, we haven't been good enough in the first four games, but... There's a certain degree of hockey gods uh, in games five and six when you play as the better team and still get the L's. So I, I think those might be a little bit tougher, specifically even adding on to the streak. I mean, you look at it now, six games in a row, six losses in a row. That's that's a really bad look for any NHL team and, and even worse for the Canucks in the current state of what their management group's at, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it can't help, right? And mm-hmm. Chris, I want to ask you, because there's been a lot of discussion about this in the market recently. A lot of people are saying, well, if the Canucks fire Benning right now, what's that going to change? This season's a write-off, some people are saying, or they're saying, oh, well, it's not going to fix anything. Like, they're, they're still a cap struck. Like, they have no cap space. They really have no tr- movable assets that are worth trading. So... A lot of people are saying, okay, well, if they fire him and bring someone else in, what what are they going to do? Like, that's not going to change anything. So, like, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because I think when, if you do make that move, it kind of not only sends a message from the top down to everybody, you know, sends a message to Travis, sends a message to the players, whatever, right? Even though, you know, I, I don't think Travis is the issue here. I think that's been pretty clearly stated. I think everybody kind of knows that at this point. Um, but... Man, like, I, like, I think that theory that Thatcher Demko dismissed on his Zoom call, um, about the players giving up on Jim, like, 
you just hear more and more former players come out and say, no, that's exactly what it is. And obviously the players are going to like, the players aren't going to come out and be like, oh yeah, you know, that was really crappy. So yeah, I don't know. I I really don't like Jim, but that's just me. I don't know about the other guys in that room. Like nobody's going to say that. Like you're getting traded or you're getting benched. You're getting waived. Okay. You don't say that. Like nobody's expecting them to say that. So man, I think, I think that's why it'd, it'd be that. That'd be my question back to what we were talking about earlier. That'd be my question for the player. I would ask, uh, I would ask Thatcher Demko, I'd be like, hey, has everybody given up? I'd just ask him the same question he was asked, but he has to answer honestly instead. Right. I just, I look at it like, to to add to your point a little bit there, if you took all of these players that have played a game for the Vancouver Canucks this year, all 26 of them, including the goalies, and you gave them a sheet that said, who do you trust more, Travis Green or Jim Benning? I bet all 26 of those players would say Travis Green. Yep. I just think that's that's a really good point. Aside from maybe Louis Erickson and Tyler Myers, who have those big fat <laughs> contracts, I think they might say Jim Benning. But I think the players very much would agree that they love to play for Travis Green. I think Travis Green is the right coach to stay here for this Vancouver Canucks team for a while. And I don't think he. I think people that are calling for his head are, are wrong. I think it's. I think Travis Green. This is his job to get this team to the next level. And I think with help of a good general manager and a good management group. You know, that maybe has multi-tier assistant GMs, maybe something like that. I think that would be great for this Canucks team moving forward. And I I've, I heard an interesting uh, quote, obviously, with 1040 down. I've been listening to more 650, um, which I actually always do because it's such a great company like Rogers. Um, but I just I was listening to the program on Friday night and they had Mike Fuda on. And the first thing that he said, then he was shocked that this team hasn't done. And I'm not saying Fida should be the next GM for the Canucks. But what he was saying was the first thing that he would like to do, or he thinks that the Canucks should do, is get the contract to Travis Green. Because a coach without a contract isn't the same coach as he can be and can't live up to his top potential. And I I agree with that. I think if if it's not in his hands for the future and you just have this contract that's expiring this year... I find it kind of hard for the connection between a coach to be able to deliver it to his players is going to be a little bit harder when he does not know what his future is with, with this team. Like I find that a really tough situation for Travis green to be in from what he's done for this organization so far. And to add to that, he's a guy who's been like groomed by the organization to be an NHL coach, right? He was their AHL guy who did a good job with that Utica team, brought them to a, a Calder cup final and obviously has had a lot of these young players who have now graduated to the Canucks organization. I I think Travis Green needs a contract, man. I think that's something that might be hurting this team more than we actually think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And on the topic of Travis, kind of what I think about that situation is, listen, this is a guy who has gotten the most out of every team he's coached. You look back a couple of years when the Canucks were really not that great on paper, and again, like brings them, you know, that system that they played, like everybody's like, oh, the system, shooting gallery, blah, blah, blah. Against Vegas, he got them to buy into his system, and it worked. They almost got, they, they were within a game of the Western Conference Final because of Travis Green and his system that you all of a sudden hate. Listen, I get that it's not great on goaltenders to face a ton of shots, but it's worked. And with Demko in net, they were able to keep traffic to the outside. You've heard this so many times. 
the Canucks weren't buying into the system to start the season. That was where the issue was. So again, this is this is nothing new. Like Sat has said it multiple times. It's not so much the system in place, it's the execution of the system in place. Like when the players were playing poorly, they were making minor league hockey mistakes. Like if you were coaching the Burnaby Winter Club, shout out to the Burnaby Winter Club, and you saw the Canucks making these mistakes and they were your like 13-year-old kids, you'd make them you'd make them do laps. Like you'd be like this is ridiculous. You can't do this. You'd bag skate your players if they were making these mistakes that they were making. And man, I just I don't know, like it it's funny to me that people are all of a sudden ragging on Travis Green and it's like where was this years ago? Like he he quite clearly hasn't lost the room and it's just Man, I don't know. It, it, it's it's crazy to me that he's not given a contract because here's the thing, Chris. We've already seen Judd Brackett get pushed out of this organization. I'm not going to rehash this, but everybody knows what he meant to this team, what he meant to this organization. Listen, people were ready to move mountains for Judd Brackett. There are NHL teams out there, more than one, who would fire their coach right now just to hire Travis Green. And I know that for a fact, Okay. He's going to be somebody that's highly sought after. And if the Canucks let him go, who are they replacing him with? Trent Call? Like, what? what is the move here? And it's just, it's crazy to me, man. It's just it's just crazy that we're even having this conversation. Because, every you know, we had Matt Sakaris on the show maybe, yeah, right before training camp. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't think this gets past training camp without him having a contract. He's He's been too good to be a lame duck coach. It won't happen. And yep. what? where are we now? Like, we're in February and he doesn't have a contract. It's crazy, Chris. Well, think about it, what we had with Brock Besser at training camp a couple of years ago, right? I mean, that's one player. This is the coach. This is the guy who who made, like you mentioned, made this team believe in his system in the playoffs to get them into Game 7 against the Vegas Golden Knights, a much superior team, like much superior team, and potentially just one Robin Leonard glove save on Brock Besser away from potentially winning that series as well. And this guy got them to buy into that system that obviously worked, like you said. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that, I think this is the guy, and, and you brought it up, like a lot of teams would fire their coach to hire Travis Green at the end of the year if they weren't happy with their situation, probably. How about Seattle? Would Travis Green not be a great coach to yep. go down and play and like, coach in Seattle? Like, and how Canucks is that, too? I think people have mentioned this before, but like, man... It just it's an it's a home run for the Kraken to put in a huge offer on a young coach like Travis Green, who has proved that he can get his players to play at a very high level when they buy into a system. It just seems like a home run for the Kraken to go that route. And I, I think if this contract isn't hashed out during the season, I think that Seattle's gonna be knocking with a big check. Uh, for Travis Green going into next season as well. So, um, you know what? We've done a horrible job of following the outline quads. I Wait, got, I, I got have ten. another thing. I have another okay, thing on ahead. Travis, man. The other yeah. team that's kind of, that's got me thinking, and when I say there's a team, there's teams that would fire Travis and hire their coach immediately, I think number one on that list is the Anaheim Ducks. He's from, An- or sorry, he's not from Anaheim. He's from Castlegard, good BC boy. But he, his family right now lives in Anaheim. Here's right. the thing. Travis lives alone in Vancouver. He comes up during the season and he goes back home during the offseason and spends time with his family. But his family's in Anaheim, dude. You don't think he wants to be closer to his family even a little bit? Like, come on. Of course he does. And look, Anaheim's coaching situation isn't great right now. They're a team kind of in that... Like, they're almost in that 
part where they're trying to retool. They haven't committed to a rebuild, and they're but they're not contenders. So, man, I think when you look at what Travis Green did with a similar Canucks team and where he got them last year, you have to think if you're the Anaheim Ducks that yeah, this is well, a guy that could really help us. Well, here's one for you, Quads. What about the LA Kings? Look at what the LA Kings have for a pipeline right now. You know, you bring in a young coach like Travis Green who has been able to take young players and get the best out of them. That makes a lot of sense, too, and that's not much further away from Anaheim. Yep. Uh, it's definitely a lot closer than Vancouver or Seattle is. So I, yeah. I think they need to keep this guy. Like, they need they need to keep this guy. I think that should be something – that should be the next big move, <laughs> you know, if, if Jim Benning's not let go. I think the next big move from the organization should be – that Travis Green contract. So uh, we'll move on here a little bit. Like I said, we've done a horrible job of following the outline. We talked about one thing uh, and then went way off topic. So there's like (laughs) seven more things we're going to get to. Let's touch on this one just quickly before we go to break. Um, Travis Hamanick was skating with the team this week. Uh, He's getting pretty close to returning. What do you think that could mean for the defense core for this Vancouver Canucks team? I think it'll help, but I don't think it'll move the needle. Like, I don't think he's going to be much better than Jalen Chatfield was in his first couple of games. Like, I don't know. Hamannick wasn't, Hamannick looked like he didn't quite have his feet under him. He was looking like he was progressing, but now he's been out for, geez, what's it been, three weeks now? So what's he going to look like when he gets back? I I, I don't know if it's going to move the needle, Chris. I, I'm, I'm curious to see, obviously, but I, again, I don't think, I don't think Travis, Travis Hamannick is going to be this team's saving grace. You know what I mean? Uh, I do think he adds to the penalty kill in a big way from being a veteran presence. I, I do find that veteran NHL defensemen who kill penalties for years just seem to do it differently. Um, he's not going to do it, I guess, at the same level that we've seen from Chris Tanev, but I do think he can do it at a little bit lower level, maybe on the penalty kill, even though Tanev has just been electric this year. Have you seen some of the numbers of Tanev oh. and Hannafin as a pairing? Yeah. Like, seriously, one of the best defensive pairings in the NHL, but let's not talk about that too much. I think it can add to this team. I think it gives them some help um, just kind of mixing up what they can do with those pairings. I think it also opens up the door to go back to Edler and Schmidt, which I think has been the best pairing for this Vancouver Canucks team all season long. Um, I think that opens up the door for that, and I just think that it maybe gives a little bit more of a calming presence around Quinn Hughes if you have him with Travis Hamannick instead of Jordy Ben, just to see how that works a little bit. And Ben's been fine. You know, Ben's been pretty pretty okay as a partner for Quinn Hughes. But the big thing that it opens up the door for me, it could give a healthy scratch spot for Tyler Myers if he has some bad games. And we've seen that from Tyler Myers in the past. I'm not saying he needs to be scratched, but I wonder if when this roster and schedule starts cranking up for the Vancouver Canucks like it has been early on this season, you know, maybe just sitting out one game to get a little bit of a mental reset or maybe send a little bit of a message. I think that might be an okay thing for Tyler Myers as well. So I think Hamannick does bring a lot to this team if he's able to stay healthy and get back on the ice here pretty soon. Absolutely. There's one last thing I want to add before we close, go to break here, Chris. When we were talking about Travis and Green, that is, needing a contract and all that stuff, we were talking about Jim Benning getting fired in the breath before that. We were talking about how it's likely that he's going to be let go at some point here. Listen, the nature of hockey, junior hockey, any level of hockey, when a new GM comes in, he usually has a coach who he likes and he wants to bring with him. I'm not sure that if a new GM gets hired that Travis Green survives that especially if he's on an expiring contract. He doesn't even have to get fired. The new GM can come in and say, thank you for your service, but this is my guy. This is the guy I want running this team. And hashtag, hashtag thank you, Travis. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I disagree with that, Quads. I I think that Travis Green, like you mentioned, a lot of teams would go out of their way to bring him into their organization as their head coach. That's a thought that's around the NHL to me. I think that unless a GM is like super, super attached to a head coach, I think Travis Green sticks around with that GM. I know it's the typical thing, like you mentioned, that a GM likes to bring in his coach. But when you have such a high-level coach already there, I I think he goes with him. Unless, like I said, there's a relationship between a GM and a free agent head coach that's so tight and that's his guy. I think it has to be like a real strong relationship to move on from Travis Green just because of, you know, the the hype, I guess, that's around Travis Green right now. And I think that, I just don't know why, and I've mentioned this to you multiple times, I don't know if on air, but I think Aquilini likes what Travis Green does for this team. I think he likes the way that Travis Green coaches, likes the way that Travis deals with media. I think Travis Green is kind of like an Aquilini guy. That's why I don't think that right now Jim Benning has the autonomy to to fire Travis Green. Did I use that word right there? Yep. Yep, you did. <laughs> and you're That's right too. About. You're absolutely right. There's no way that Aquilini's firing or sorry, signing off on a Travis Green firing. It just absolutely. It, I don't think it will happen when Jim Benning's on such a well-documented hot seat and like everything mm-hmm. ha- Listen, not even just coaching decisions like everything has to be run by Aquilini right now. Like that's where the trust level is at, people. Like <laughs> Man, it's just, it's crazy because I'm thinking about whatever, this next GM, whoever it may be. I I am saying that as long as the Aquilini's own the team, there will never be another GM in Canucks history who gets as long as a leash as Jim Benning got. Like, Aquilini was sold on the rebuild idea, and that's, that's what you get. Like, that's where we are now. And he gave Jim Benning a long leash, they made mistakes, and it was like, okay, well, this is just the pain we have to go through. But when when will when will the pain end? Is the question on Aquilini's mind right now? I'm sure. So, I'm man. Maybe it's a bold prediction. I'll say any GM who comes in with the Aquilini's owning the team, there is zero chance that they get as long as a leash as Jim Benning has. Because really, like I'm trying to think back to my Canucks history here, but I don't think any GM's been given as long as a leash as Benning. Like I, I think missing the playoffs more than three times i think that was the breaking point for every other gm that they've had if you missed the playoffs three times you were out that was just the three times in a row that is of course but i think the canucks did it four times in a row so man i don't know we're, we're going into year seven here chris and yeah like obviously it's just i don't know like maybe maybe i'm the one of few here but i kind of feel bad for jim benning because it's like listen it's it's out there it's well documented in the media from trusted media sources that you know this probably is the end of Jim Benning's tenure as the GM and it's just you know I'm not I'm not coming out and saying say hashtag thank you Benning but I've already seen people kind of tone it down with the hashtag fire Benning once these reports started coming out that they're looking for a new GM because it's just like you you feel bad because they're not doing it obviously they're not doing it for financial reasons in the COVID season whatever like you just feel bad because Jim Benning's still there. Like he's still sitting in there watching all the games, traveling with the team and he, he can't do anything. Like he, his general manager duties have basically been finished. Like he's not, he's not trading with anybody. And if he does, he has to get approval from ownership. As we mentioned, it's just, it's crappy, man. There's just not much that he can do right now. And it's just like, I don't know. You, you, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I, I feel a little bit bad for him. No, I mean, yeah, he's 
he's not on thin ice anymore. Like he's in the water. Like he's gone through the ice. He's in the water, but he's holding on to the ice, right? I mean, like you're right. He can't can't do much in the spot that he's in, but that's because he's put himself in this spot. You know, he's yeah. put the team into this spot. So I get that you're saying you maybe you feel bad for it a little bit, but this is also his work that's brought him to this position. So it's yeah. hard for me to say that I feel bad for a guy who is being a general manager of an NHL team, being paid very well, and has put himself into this own position. So I see where you're coming from, but I don't necessarily agree that much about it because he's put himself here, I think. He's yeah. had seven years, seven years and a lot of slack, you know, to get to this point for two playoff appearances, right? I mean... It's it's a lot, but we'll see what happens. And and you like I get the I get what you're saying. How he can't do anything to help himself now, right? Like he really can't. I mean, he could make a trade. You know, maybe he does find something for Vertanen. Maybe that is something that's possible. But you're right. Like there's not a lot he can do about the current situation and to make things better in the here and now, right now. So uh, wow, we've gone for quite a while here. Let's uh, let's throw it a break and then we'll come back on the other side. Still a lot to talk about. Maybe we'll try and fly through some of these stats. Um, and then get to a prospect report um, because I talked to Trent Cull as well this week. That was kind of fun, uh, fun to hop into there. The guy's got some flow, man. I don't know if this is like a new thing for him this year, but uh, Trent Cull with the flow. Talk to him about Carson Folk. We'll get into that in the prospects report. Um, but for now, let's just throw some ads and we'll meet you guys back on the other side. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for epic case break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game? Well, problem solved, folks. Same day delivery now from the folks at Parallel 49 Beer. That's right, the P49 crew is here and available on Uber Eats. All that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.parallel49brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at parallel 49 beer oddshark.com is your home for sports odds picks betting and futures speaking of futures my big bet right now is taking Braden Holtby to win the Vesna. you've heard Chris and I talk about that if there's anybody that can get Holtby back it's Ian Clark so we bet well we I say we it was just me I bet that Braden Holtby would win the Vesna. that's my big bet go make a play at oddshark.com all right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade, the Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far, my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks. Pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best tastiest drink on the market right now and thank you very much to our four sponsors we have a lot more to talk about quads like i said we've done a horrible job of getting through this outline here but let's move on to the next thing just looking at the six game losing streak i guess as a whole and what are some of the things that are sticking out to you 
that this team is just not doing well enough through the six-game losing streak? The first four games or the last two? Because the last two is finishing, and you can't do much of that when you're facing Jacob Markstrom. It's just, you've got to get bodies in front of the net. I think, okay, sorry, I'll, I'll go off the last two games, yes. So, Markstrom's in net. It is very tough to score on him. The only way to score on him is when he can't see the puck. But the problem is, he's very good at seeing the puck, even with traffic. So you need to get more traffic in front of the net and get shots through. They have, like, what, two goals against Markstrom? Neither of those were goals he could see. Here's the one that comes to mind. So Jake Vertanen scored the goal. I think the first goal that Markstrom let in against the Canucks, it was one that just banked off a Flames defender in front and went in behind him. And it's like, Mark, okay, he had no chance on that one. Then there's the Besser one where... The puck's sitting there at the goal line. Markstrom has no clue where it is. He thinks it's behind him. There's no chance for him to find it. Besser finds it first, puts it in the back of the net. The way to score on Markstrom is make sure he can't see the puck. So that's what the Canucks need to do. They need to get a lot of traffic in front. I don't care who it is. Just make make life difficult for Markstrom. Make sure he can't see the puck. And the Calgary defense, give them credit, are very good at clearing out the net front and making sure Markstrom can see pucks. And that's something he pointed out in his postgame. He said, like, you know, a reporter, as usual, was asking him, oh, you were fantastic tonight. Like, uh, you know, basically asked him a question about him. And he basically turned it and said, oh, yeah, like, our defense is really good at helping me see pucks. And here's the thing. If Markstrom can see the puck... He's probably stopping it. So if they want to figure out Markstrom over the next three games, the way to do it is just get traffic in front of him and make life difficult for him. And the Canucks know that. Like, they were talking about it in the postgame. That's how they have to beat Markstrom. It's not news to anybody. It shouldn't be news to anybody. But they've played a much more complete game the last two games, especially the last game against Calgary. I... I think the only thing that they can do better is finish. And the way you do that is by getting traffic in front. So, yeah, I think if there's anything that they need to do, it's there. And I'm not even going to talk about the first four games because the things they had to improve on in those games was literally everything. Uh, But it looks like they have. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go back and dwell on that because that was just, that was pitiful. Like, that was really, really sloppy hockey. Again, it was just tough to watch, but... It looks like they're starting to turn it around. They need to keep going with their system and they need to make sure that they don't fall back into their old ways. And I think having a practice is going to be massive for this team. Yeah, I think just a little bit of practice time is excellent for them too. Hey, do you think do you think Jacob Markstrom plays all four games in this set? Uh I I haven't looked ahead at the Calgary schedule enough to make a yeah, for sure he is. If I'm the coach and if I'm Jason LaBarbera, I'm saying no. Like, I'm saying you you start him for the, this game tonight, Saturday night. You let him, you let Riddick get a start on Monday. And then on Wednesday, you let Markstrom start. I think that's, I think that's the way to do it. Because, look, you don't want to drive this guy into the ground. Because Big Save Dave shows he can't make big saves when he's the guy that's leaned upon. He's much better as a backup slash 1B, which he is right now. Like, he's a backup right now. And he's performing much better. The thing is, they were they wanted him to be the starter in Calgary, and it just didn't work. Like, the David Riddick experiment did not work. And that's why they had to go out and get Markstrom. And it's paying off so far for the Flames. So, I... Like... I would advise against running Markstrom into the ground because I don't think the Flames have a good enough goaltending situation that if Markstrom goes down, they can supplement that and they can play to a level that keeps them 
as a winning hockey club. I just I think if you lose Markstrom for even a month, your season's in jeopardy if you're the Flames. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I think I just I could see him playing f- all four though. That's the only yeah, thing. Like I think absolutely. If, if he I think he has the net until he gives up two goals in one game against this Canucks team. I think he has a net in this series until he gives up two goals. If he gives up two goals, sure, give him a game off. But if he's posting shutouts, posting one goal against, I'm going to find it pretty tough for them to take him out, I think. So I think that's kind of where it's going to go from here. Uh, I'm going to touch on a few things that have just been numbers that have popped quite a bit for me in the last six games during this losing streak since February 1st. Um, And maybe just get your thoughts on the numbers here. Uh, Worst PDO in the NHL. So PDO, for people that don't know, it's a combination of shooting percentage and on-ice save percentage. So it basically tells you how the luck is. It's, It's the best stat to measure luck. The Canucks are worse than the league for that. The only team in the 800s with an 884 PDO. Their on-ice shooting percentage right now, quads, over the six-game stretch at 5-on-5, 4.29%. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think the the such low shooting percentage is coming from over this losing streak here? To be honest, I don't really know. Like, it's it's hard to tell. It's just they've run into some good goaltenders for sure. But, again, like, I think, again, I'll go back to it. The thing that they need to focus on is getting traffic in front and finishing those chances. And... That just seems to be kind of the mood around this team right now. Like, they're, Nils Hoglander was talking about it yesterday. He's like, yeah, I had seven shots, but I didn't finish any of them. And that has to change. And he's absolutely right. It does have to change. That's what they need to do. They need to start finishing these chances. So it'll come, I think, especially when you take into account the PDO and that it's, you know, they're obviously not getting the luck on their side right now. It seems like every bounce is going against them right now, which is... Just so much adversity for this team to go through right now in this season, um, <laughs> yeah. but I think I think it'll turn around eventually. And I think honestly, like Demko starts tonight, I think they're gonna start to you're gonna start to see them turn it around even more. Like I I think bold take, but I think the Canucks have seen rock bottom already, and it's only up from here for the rest of the season. Interesting. So over these six games, you brought up Demko there. Like I mentioned, very low shooting percentage, but to be the lowest PDO in the NHL, you have to have a low save percentage as well. Uh, at 5-on-5 five five over the last six games, 841 save percentage from the goalies. Why Why 841 quads? What's been going on in that aspect, do you think? Well, again, like we've talked about it so much. The defense just hasn't been committed. Last two games, it's been much better. So... It's it's tough to it's tough to like pin it on the goaltenders, but for a guy like Holtby, he's been he's been good, but he hasn't been great. And I think Demko has been great, and I think Demko showed far more capability of helping this team get a victory, like stealing a win for this team. I think Demko's shown you that he can do that. Not quite there yet with Holtby, but again, he's continuing to work with Ian Clark. And he's continuing to get more and more reps and he's continuing to get more comfortable with this team and the systems that they play. Man, it's just like we talked about this a while ago, but we talked about who do you start in this this road trip or sorry, this homestand. And we both kind of figured like it had to be Demko, right? Like Demko's your starter now. And I think him starting this game Saturday night against Calgary, I think that just confirms that. I, I think Demko is this team's starter, and he should be. And that's how it's going to be for the next five or so years until somebody else comes knocking on the door. Like, this is Demko's team, and 
he's playing like it and he needs to continue to play like it and he needs to be even better like Demko can be great I've I'm a big fan of Thatcher Demko you've heard that many many times if you've listened to this show for a while man like I've been impressed with him I've been impressed with his positioning his technical play like everything about his game has just been fantastic and you 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 hope that he can start to get more results but again like I think that'll come with the team in front of him playing tighter defense and finishing their chances and getting him some run support yeah I mean that one it's just like it's two really bad stats looking at the ones we just brought up with a 4.9 shooting percentage and an 8.4 save percentage I mean how much do you think of it though is just bad luck like when you hear those stats this six game losing streak how much of it is bad luck is it just those two games that you brought up that are the ones that you know are bad luck the other one has just been bad play or do you kind of just have like a little bit of both over the six game stretch do you think no it, the last two have been bad luck the first four were bad play like ab- like you you just said it best like i I don't think they were unlucky in those games. They have to own that. They played like garbage. And mm-hmm. these last two games, you know, Thatcher, Travis even said, like, you know, we could have had a different outcome tonight. And yeah, they could have. But it's just now is not the time for moral victories, you know? And that's not a knock mm-hmm. on Travis. It's just they need to start getting some wins, Chris. And I think it's a good sign that they're starting to trend in the right direction and like I said they just need to keep buying in and they need to get more used to that system and again I I really think that having this practice and the schedule kind of calm down a little bit for them is really gonna help them yeah let's talk about the top players right now a little bit the lotto line has been struggling at five on five over the stretch as well Brock Besser one goal one assist in the six games Pedersen just two assists in those games Miller just one assist in those six games that's all at five on five they seem to be doing fine on the power play, I would say. I mean, not great, but not bad either. I think they've been doing fine from what our expectations are of that power play unit. Maybe a little bit below average from the expectations, but fine, I'll just leave it at that. But at 5-on-5, the lotto line's been mixed up a little bit. They've been put back together now. I mean, it's, it's something that I think they need to stick with just because that line has been one of the best in the NHL and you need to kind of stick with it at times here. But right now, something's just not happening at 5-1-5, and I know we've talked about it, it seems like, every single episode for the last, I guess, since the season has started, to be honest. Like, we haven't been able to figure out what it is about this line that's not able to do it right now. Possession numbers aren't as high in the offensive zone. They're getting caved in on shot share in their own zone as well. Scoring chances are much against them. Expected goals. Everything just seems to be going pretty bad for this lotto line at this point, but... These guys are just too skilled to not break out of it, I think. And what's the thing that's, like, when do you see it happening? Like, is it going to happen soon? Or is this something that they need to shake up and, you know, try and mix something else in the lineup? Because this team's also on a six-game losing streak, right? I mean, I don't think anything is off the table right now for switching up your lines. I know you're about to bring up Jake Vertanen, so... Yes, I think it is off the table. Uh, Again, I was gonna, you know what? I was gonna save that for next week. Good, because I don't... got some more to add on to the Jake Vertanen top six story. Yeah, but I'm well, saving it. I'm gonna save it. Please, please, please do save it. But here's the thing: I don't think there needs to be a changeup right now. I think, like I've said it all episode, they they played well against Calgary, and I think if Jacob Markstrom's not in net, they come away on top in that game. I think you have to let them figure it out. 
and they're starting to do it. Like, we know what the lotto line can do. They didn't just forget how to play hockey over the offseason. Although it looks like it sometimes, that is not what happened. The, the lotto line is going to figure it out, and they're starting to figure it out. To split them up right now would just be asinine, I think. Unless they come out and have, I'll say it again, another stinker, then they'll be fine. Like, you have to let them figure it out. And I know it's painful. I know it's tough to watch some of these games, but... When they have games like they have the last two, and, you know, that's the whole team I'm talking about, you cannot try and change that up. You just can't. When they've come, and I know they've both resulted in losses, but when they've come out and looked like a different team than the one we were watching a couple weeks ago, you have to just roll with that. You have to keep it going, because obviously nothing else was working, so you have to let them figure it out. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, All three of the Lotto Line guys in the month of February are in the top 18 for the worst goals against per 60 in the NHL. Actually the t- like the top 18 for goals against in the NHL in the month of February, 10 of them are Canucks players including four of the top 5 being Canucks players for goals against per 60 and the one that I wanted to key in on is number 4 on the list giving up 7.11 goals against per 60 minutes Quinn Hughes. If you look at the stretch that he's had this month, at 515 Quinn Hughes has been on the ice for two goals, four and 11 goals against through six games in this losing streak. You wanted to talk about Hughes a little bit here, Quads. What's going on in the defensive side of things with him? Because 11 goals in six games in 92 minutes of five-on-five ice time, that's bad. That's There's no other word to really say from that. It's bad. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that his goaltenders have not helped him out at all. In the month of February, while Quinn Hughes is on the ice, the on-ice save percentage is 813, that's 813 out of 1,000, that's 81% of shots being saved, that's not great either. So I don't think it's 100% on Quinn Hughes, and he kind of went down that road a little bit in a post-game media Zoom availability, saying that, you know, some of these goals that are going in, and he kind of stopped himself as he was saying it, but he was sort of saying that he was in the right position and that some of these goals weren't really his fault. I don't think he finished the quote like he caught himself what he was saying there and he stopped it. But 11 goals, I mean, stats don't lie to a certain degree when you're talking about goals. And he's got 11 of them so far in the six-game losing streak just at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, he's he has not been good. And there's people out there saying... Oh, he's he's been Norris level. Like he needs to win the Norris because he's leading the league in points by defenseman, which is great. Like he's he's been fine in that department, but he's not playing Norris level right now. Like he has really not been good in the, his own end. And you know the thing is, people who don't watch Hughes and ha- didn't watch him last year, are like oh well, he's small, he can't defend. Mm-hmm. He was great last year. Again, we've said it before, when the Canucks needed someone to match up against the O'Reilly line in the playoffs, they put Hughes on him, and it worked. Like, that's what they did to shut down Ryan O'Reilly, and that was their best attempt at shutting down Ryan O'Reilly was Quinn Hughes. And he's, like, he's been good. That's what I'm trying to say. He's been good in the past. He has not been good to start this season. Like, he's been great at producing points. That's fantastic, but he hasn't been as good in his own end. And yeah, sure, not every goal that goes in while he's on the ice is his fault. That'd be insane to suggest that. But at some point, he has to turn it around and he has to start playing like the Quinn Hughes that we know he is. I want to ask you, Chris, how much of this do you think is due to him not being next to Chris Tanev anymore? 
Man, I, I definitely think there's some degree to it. I think that we've seen him bounce around with players. We see it all game, right? Like every single game, I don't think that there's a defenseman who plays with so many different partners as much as Quinn Hughes does, right? He's with Tyler Myers at times. He's with Jordy Bennett at times. You know, when Hamnick's healthy, he's with him. We see him certain times late in games with Alex Edler. I think the calming presence of Chris Tanev is definitely missed, but I don't think that... I still don't really buy into the idea that Chris Tanev makes Quinn Hughes that much better. I think that there's a different type of player that makes Quinn Hughes better, and it's something that I talked about a lot before the season started. I think it's time for Nate Schmidt and Quinn Hughes to get a run together and play 25-plus minutes together. Both of those guys are going to be defensemen for you who can hold up defensive side of things while also creating a lot of offense. Nate Schmidt's the only defenseman on this team with a positive control of the goal share at 5-on-5 right now. You know, that's that's a pretty good stat to hold up when you look at the Canucks record. Nate Schmidt's been able to keep positive somehow, keep his head above water and his shoulders as well at 5-on-5 when a lot of this Canucks team is drowning in 5-on-5 offense. So I think it's time for Hughes and Schmidt. I think it's time to break glass in case of emergency because the Canucks right now are at an emergency point of the season. So I think they should go with that. And that's a thing where you don't have to change it up in late in games when you're losing, right? You don't have to say, okay, now it's time to put, you know, Hughes with Myers for a little bit and crank up the offense. Like, you have the offense there with Nate Schmidt. So you don't have to change anything as the game goes on. And I think you're getting a decent defensive game out of Schmidt, who, by a lot of analytic stats, has been the best defensive defenseman for this team. And he's better on the right side. It's just simple as that from looking at the numbers. So... I think it's time to break glass. I think it's time to put Hughes with Schmidt and just play the wheels off of them at 5-on-5. Five five. I Honestly, at this point, I don't mind that. I think if you're going to make a change, that's the change you make. I think it has to happen on the back end. Like like I said, I don't think you change the forward group, but I do think you change up the back end, and I don't hate that move, even though I did at the start of the season. I think at this point, I think that could really help get Hughes going because Schmidt's been, Schmidt's been good. Like, Boom. He's he has been their best defenseman, but he hasn't been great because the, all of their defensemen have been not that good. He's been their best defenseman, but again, he hasn't been great. Hopefully, him and Hughes playing together gets both of them going. I I don't know because they just don't have much depth beyond that. And like, listen, Tyler Myers was fine last year, and now he's having to play an increased role. And it's clearly not working. Like he's been bad this year. Like let's let's talk about that because he's been legit bad. Can I just can I just bathe in something real quick here? Yeah, just in my own glory. Uh, I just wanted to say I remember an episode back in the studio when we were able to go in there. It was myself, you, and Harmon Dial. And I just wanted to say that I brought up the idea of Schmidt and Hughes, and I said it needs to happen. I was all on board for that. And it just feels good to know that the man genius was right here instead of the boy geniuses because I feel like that's the move for the Canucks moving forward here. Just wanted to bathe in that a little bit uh, before we go into this Myers talk here. Did you just give right. yourself the nickname man genius? Well, just, you know, I guess when you got two boy geniuses in the room and the other guy's right and he's a little bit older, I guess man genius makes a little bit more sense. Fair enough. There was only I'll one boy genius that. in that room, though. <laughs> well yeah you're 21 now quads you're i don't know middle middle aged, mid 20s i don't know anyways let's um let's let's just kind of move ahead here because let's wrap things up i want to get this episode out and we're already past noon i feel bad because i told people we'd have it out by noon um but lots of talking here Let, let's skip myers <laughs> i feel like i don't want to be yeah. brought down too much here um i got betting uh, talk ready to go betting talk okay perfect well let's 
I mean, yeah, there's some more stuff prospects. we can just touch on the midweek episode. I'm going to go to the prospects, yeah. Um, so Vasily Pod goals in two games into the Bayer tournament, Bayer tournament. Like, this is the problem with European languages, man. The J's can go a hundred different ways. The way that you pronounce a J in a lot of these different European languages, they can go a million different ways. Listen to how Swedish folks pronounce junior. Like, they call it junior hockey. So I'm going to go with that. Maybe it's Bayer tournament. So I'm going to go with that. Pod Coles in two games in. I'll be 100% honest here. It hasn't been great. Um, he was really on a hot streak in the KHL. Starting to look really good. Playing against some pretty tough competition. He was a lot of ice time today. He was matched up against Elias Pettersson's brother, Emil Pettersson, who's one of the better players, if not the best player in the SHL right now. He scored a goal. Um, Pod Colson wasn't on the ice for that. But just looking at it from Pod Colson's view... He's not playing bad, but he's just not really creating a lot of offense. He's in a fourth-line role, but the exciting thing for me is to see that this kid has earned enough respect in the Russian national team because this isn't a junior team anymore. This is a national team. He's earned enough respect to have an A on his chest, and I think that's a decision that was made by Igor Larionov, who is one of the smart hockey minds in world championship hockey right now. I think he's a great coach. I think... I think he could be a very valuable asset to an NHL team in the next couple of years here. And his his ability to help transition Russian players to a North American game, I don't think there's a better guy in the world to do that right now for Russians coming over. I think if there's any chance for the Canucks to get Igor Larionov in their organization, I think they need to jump on it with Pod Colson coming over here. Maybe even helps Tryan can get over. I don't know. I'll leave it at that. Pod Colson's got one more game on um, Sunday as well, so we'll keep an eye on that at 7 a.m. Uh, Aiden McDonough with the hat trick on Friday night. I sent out a tweet. I just said, does anybody want some McDonough clips tonight? And a lot of people were down. I think it ended up getting close to 100 likes. Good thing I watched because he put up a hat trick. All three goals seem to be scored the exact same way. I texted him about it. He says, uh, yeah, you know, he'll take him any way that he can. And he loved uh, he loved the hype that Canucks Twitter was bringing, so... Shout out Canucks Twitter. Aiden McDonough saw the tweets. He was all about it. And finally, Carson Folk. Like I said earlier, I talked to Trent Cull today or this week on a Zoom call. Just about Folk and and how he's kind of adjusting. And, And the interesting thing that he brought up was that we've seen a lot of these junior players come in and be a little bit timid, right? Cole Lynn's an example. Jonah Gadjevich is an example. I think we're going to see a lot of it from Jet Wu this year in a similar situation. But man. This Carson Folk kid, man, from watching these two games on the weekend, and I'll be watching the game today at 4 o'clock, but he's not afraid of anything. He's not afraid to shoot the puck. He's not afraid to go to the net. He's not afraid to rough it up with veteran AHL players by by the crease after the whistle. Like, a lot of stuff to like about Carson Folk right now. He skates pretty well. He looks, looks like he fit right into being an AHL player, and that's something that's a huge step because we've seen the adjustment period that needs to be made from guys like Cole Lind and Gadjevich, right? So the fact that Folk just jumped right in and already looks like an AHL player, that's a big plus for the Vancouver Canucks, specifically with him being a center. I mean, he's killing penalties, he's getting power play time, so that's going to be an interesting story to follow. I know that all eyes are going to be on Lind throughout this AHL season, but I think in the background, Folk's going to be able to put together a little bit of a good season here if he's able to just kind of build off of every weekend series. So interested to watch that game today at 4 o'clock. That should be a fun one and uh, that's all I got for the prospects report quads let's get to the odd shark betting segment here uh what do you got this week yes so our friends at odd shark obviously you go check out all of the uh all of the information you need to know here's the bet I have for tonight Chris I've got two down okay so this is one that you showed me last time there's prop bets where 
will this player get two shots on goal? So if the player, or sorry, gets over two shots on goal, and last game it was Quinn Hughes, and I think you told me there's only been like 25% of the games this year where Quinn Hughes hasn't gotten two shots on goal. I think that was the stat you told me. So I put money on that. He got two. I put 20 bucks on it. I got my money back, which was fantastic. And this one that I just placed, it's JT Miller tonight for over two plus 110 odds. I just put 10 bucks on that. That's an $11 return, man. Like, can I'm, I I'm, can I jump I'm in here with that. that real quick? That yeah. that bet right now with 2.0, like instead of like the 1.5 where it's like you got to take the over, he has to get 2. I like the 2.0 because if he gets 2, you get your money back like you mentioned. I like that bet a lot. And I I I won money on that last week. Uh, or sorry, just last game with JT Miller cuz he was at 1.5 and I said, "Yeah, there's no chance JT Miller gets one shot or zero shots." Like if you have these guys like Tanner Pearson, JT Miller, Bo Horvat, Quinn Hughes, Nate Schmidt, if you can get any of those guys on a prop of two shots, you got to take that back because those guys get two shots in most games that they play in. Yeah. So I have that, and then I have that there was another prop bet. It was who will get more points, Brock Besser or Johnny Gaudreau. Highest odds were that they would get the same amount of points. So I put money on that. I put five bucks on that with the uh, plus 200 odds. So I, I don't know. I, those are my bets so far. I don't know. What what have you seen that you want to place? Because I'm thinking Hoggies do as well. I Hoggies mm. have been looking real good these last couple of games. And, you I'll, know, yeah. seven shots. I, I think you have to, right? Yeah, seven shot attempts. But he um he is right now at 20 to 1 odds for the first goal of the game. 20 to 1. I mean, you put $2 on that. I normally put 250 because it gets you a nice clean $50 back. He's going to get one of the first goals of these games here pretty soon, right? Like, think about how many times you can make that bet. You can make a $2.50 bet, what, 20 times? He's going to do it in the next 20 games. He's going to win you that $50. So I'm taking that bet with Hoglander scoring first. Um, but his goals, I think he's normally about 3 to 1 odds on scoring a goal. That's not really enough for me to make the bet. I'd rather take him at two points because I think his assists are going to be a better chance of getting two points than even one goal. So I think I'll take the odds on the two points when it's something like plus 700 like that, uh, seven to one odds. So I'll take that. But the 20 to one odds on him scoring first, he's always out there buzzing, man. I think I'm going to roll with that one. And then the ones that you mentioned, the the two shots, the over, I'm going to take those as well. And I do like the 2.0 flat because it gives you a little bit better odds. And if you only get two shots, you just get your money back. So I'm happy with that. I'm, I think this has been our best betting segment yet, Quads. We have some some actual chances for people to win money instead of us just reeling off a 17 parlay that never hits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. I think... <laughs> I, you know, I think people, people are going to enjoy this segment because they might actually be able to win some money from it. Yeah, no doubt. This is, uh, I think this is our best one yet. And I think we've been learning from Odd Shark and looking at this, yes. like looking at it and, and reading some of these articles that we have been betting the wrong way so far because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I will share that I have lost some money in the bets in the past <laughs> month and a half here, uh, since jumping on the train with Odd Shark. But I've learned, I've learned, I've been reading, I've been, I've been seeing some of the articles. Odd Shark does a great job of that. Just explaining little things. Like, these are like 200-word articles, some of them, that just explain one thing that I just didn't know. So, it's yeah. kind of cool. Oddshark.com to uh, check that out. Anything else uh, you want to wrap up this week, Quads? Um, you know, birthday week, big week for you, some snow on the ground, exciting times. Anything else you want to close out with here? No, I think I'm good. I'm just excited to go back to bed. 
Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> I, I am excited to go back to bed. Got some Comets games in about uh, three and a half hours. Watch that. Get on the Zoom call for that and uh, check in with them. See how it's going down there. So we'll wrap things up. Uh, for David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Canucks Conversation.